Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. Oh boy, well we are here and we are back and it is somehow season five. I continue to use the word season because I feel it, it, it gives like a little Hollywood flair to what we do here, but it's the fifth semester of Red Rock Relationships. So welcome back. Um, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do this semester, I was like running out of topics um, and I thought that it would be a good idea to take a look at an area that we've touched on before, but really not extrapolated upon, which is like health and the body and how relationships uh, can contribute to our health and how our health contributes to our relationships, et cetera, et cetera. And so today I wanted to talk broadly about health communication, what healthy communication looks like and the roles that our relationships play as we uh, as we like journey toward a healthier life. And to help me do that is former season two guest, Dr. Coulter Ray. Coulter, thanks for coming back. Hey man, it's good to see you again and thanks for having me back. Yeah, always a pleasure, always a pleasure. Uh, now, we've already done your introductions. I think it was season two, episode four or something like that. So if you're wondering about who Coulter is and what he does, take a look at that. But since our last meeting, I believe you've switched universities. So you are no longer at SDSU. You are now at LSU, which is fun. Uh, how are things over there? Louisiana is its own culture, man. It is very different from the West Coast, and it's very different from even Texas, where I grew up, right down the road from where I am now in Baton Rouge in Louisiana. Uh, but it's a blast. Uh, so we're getting things going here uh, in the fall semester, kicking off the year, which means football season's just around the corner, and so the town is uh, really starting to come to life. Nice, nice. And and believe me, you don't have to tell me about like own unique little cultures and like a little pocket. Uh, we'll talk actually quite a bit about that later on uh, in, in this semester with some of our other guests. But uh, today we have a whole slurry of issues to talk about, a lot to get to. For those who are unfamiliar, uh, last time Coulter was on the show, we spent a lot of time talking about social support and how support in relationships is meaningful, both in terms of like, what people want and also what people sort of don't want sometimes, and that was its whole uh, issue. I want to start there because, uh, you know, as far as I know, at least when we were in grad school together, that was kind of like one of the areas of, of, of focus for you. So, my first question is what does a like quote unquote healthy amount of social support look like? in a relationship? And I ask that question knowing that like relationships are different and unique. So like, how can we as individuals balance the amount of support that we give and receive from others with that, that uniqueness of each relationship in mind? Yeah, it's a wonderful question because it's, uh, it's so relationship dependent, right? Like we probably all know that person who's incredibly needy and whenever things are not going well, they are needed of need of a lot of support, uh, myself included. I'm that type of person. And then we also probably know those people in our lives who whenever uh, things are getting difficult, maybe they don't really want to be bothered and they're really good at kind of self soothing and self coping. So there's kind of, uh, let's say there's two approaches here to trying to figure out what's a healthy amount of support and to, uh, to tackling that issue. Um, I think one of the first things you can do is to reach out to that friend or whoever it is that's, you know, going through a tough time 
and kind of ask them, you know, so what are some things that people have done to help you out that's going well or what's maybe not going well? What's some stuff that you wish uh, people have would have done or said? Uh, you know, just kind of do an inventory check, essentially, of what they've gotten so far from other people. And you'd be surprised that a lot of people might disclose pretty readily. Oh, you know, you know, people have been great about reaching out and checking in with me. Um, and it's been wonderful. Or maybe they'll say, like, oh, I just feel so overloaded right now with the number of messages that people are sending me. So really just having that open conversation and asking, like, you know, what what is it that people have done well that have not done well? That can kind of give you a, a compass uh, direction in terms of what you need to do, both in terms of amount of support and also the type of support you might be able to communicate or provide. Other side of the equation, the second thing that maybe just think about is don't even bother asking. Just assume that people need more support uh, and just uh, just do whatever it is that you think is going to contribute to their life and that you feel comfortable doing. Uh, we know that there's different ways to support people, whether it's you know cooking them dinner uh, or maybe giving them some information or advice. Uh, but we know that the thing that most people like to receive, no matter what the situation, is that emotional support. So those messages of love and caring and concern, you know, regardless if uh, they're dealing with something they can tackle on their own or if it's something that uh, they, you know, maybe can't fix, uh, emotional support still seems to be pretty much appreciated relatively universally. So I think that's uh, one way to tackle that, or really I should say two ways to tackle that issue. That's interesting. I never thought about like the inventory check because I think a lot, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I think the instinct when you when you encounter somebody in your life who maybe needs support, the instinct is to be like, how can I help? As opposed to say, what are some things that other people have done that have been helpful? Or like, what are uh, what's something that other people haven't done that you wish indeed was happening? That's I think that's a really, and that's also a very low threat way, right? Because you're not putting yourself in the line of fire. You're talking about what other folks are. So it's a very interesting and non-threatening way to do for that. Um, the other thing that I think of is when you were talking about like the two types of people who need support, you just described my dogs, uh, Jeter. <laughs> My 20-pound King Charles Cavalier is independent and healthy and, and, and anxiety-free, and he likes to just hang out. Goose, my, my pit bull um, <laughs> Jack Russell mix, is dependent upon, like, face smushes in order to feel loved. So that, I, I think that that's a very good juxtaposition, at least, like, it relates to me, at least. Yeah. No, it sounds like you have one very securely attached dog <laughs> yeah. and uh, one maybe not so secure, securely attached. Mildly, dog. mildly preoccupied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just mildly, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and that's what you were, were reminding me of there was attachment theory and, and the ways in which people uh, view others vis-a-vis uh, -vis themselves. But if you're if you're more interested in listening uh, to stuff on attachment theory, you can listen to the first episode that I did with Dr. Laura Guerrero. That's way back from season one. Um, moving on. And this is something that I can't believe I've never talked about in like 40 plus episodes on this show. You know what I really can't stand is when people give relationship advice and it's never a communication person who says this. It's always yeah. like a like a, you know, self-help guru type. And they'll say communication is key. Oh, Cool. And did you also know that grass typically needs water in order to grow? Like, of course, communication is key. Um, what's that even mean? Like, how can we distinguish the 
type or, or the kind of the brand of communication that's quote key. And more importantly, how can we initiate those conversations, those like really important key conversations? First off, I will say I definitely echo your <laughs> frustration and annoyance because it's never uh, it's it's rarely the the well-informed communication or relationship researcher who you hear this stuff from. It's always like someone whose TikTok channel is like, I'm a Sagittarius and therefore <laughs> communication is key. And, you know, it's just a big mm -hmm. eye roll uh, moment. But uh, here's how I think of it. Like uh, you and I, you know, we go way back and so we're both big sports fans. Um, you know, we're both big baseball fans. And I actually kind of think communication in our relationship it's similar to like uh, being a baseball player who goes up to bat several hundreds, if not thousands of times in the course of their career. And uh, even the best communicators, just like the best batters, sometimes strike out and they say the wrong thing mm. uh, or or sometimes they hit a home run. They say the absolute just like perfect thing in that moment, you know, whether it's uh, something really supportive or like the, the clever joke whenever you're, you know, having some friendly banter with your friends, whatever it is. But uh, you know, so I, I bring that up because I think you can extend this metaphor to think about when we say communication is key, uh, that just like baseball players or athletes find themselves sometimes in what you could call like a clutch moment. Uh, I think that, I think the thing, same thing happens for us as people who communicate in important relationships. Uh, there are clutch moments, uh, in our relationships that are the equivalent of going up to bat with the bases loaded two outs, bottom of the ninth. And, uh, you know, and some people are better in those situations than others. So, for example, in a relationship, well, actually, let me turn it around and ask you as a relationship researcher, what are the what do you think would be like a clutch moment uh, for communication in a close relationship? Well, uh, it's funny because I was just thinking about such a moment that I recently had with my significant other, which was um, I don't know a ton about her work. I mean, she was talking about Qualtrics, which is a, uh, a website that is used to collect survey data. And she was describing something that was uh, methodologically unsound. And I was like, who would even do that? Oh, my God. Uh, she did it. She was involved. <laughs> and so she was like, I can't believe you would say, like, aren't you like a communication expert? Like, how could you deliver such a rude message? And like what you just said, it, it really made me think of that. It's like, yeah, sometimes you swing and miss even if you know you're 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 an all-star player so uh, for me one of the biggest moments is like defusable moments during a conflict and yep. sometimes a moment needs to be diffused by like sitting down and sorting out the problem sometimes it needs to be diffused by taking a break sometimes it needs to be diffused by hanging your head and saying i'm sorry yeah and knowing which one of those three approaches is going to be successful because um, saying hanging your head and saying saying I'm sorry is not always the correct answer, uh, so uh, th that's the moment that I think of. I think about yesterday. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's funny. I also said something kind of uh, not. I wouldn't say like it was a, a strikeout, but it was a swing and a miss uh, with one of my uh, with my um, uh, with my partner as well. And I was just like, why did I say that? Mm. But. Um, you know, you're going to mess up from time to time. And it's kind of like the same criticism of like, you know, an NBA player misses a free throw and it's like, how could you miss a free throw? And then like, okay, well you go stay, uh, stand on a basketball court and see how many times you can like, mm -hmm. you know, make a free throw. It's like, this stuff is harder to do than, than it looks just because we have the ability to like 
you know, to communicate doesn't mean that everyone's skilled at it. And so I'm actually really glad you brought up the example that you did, which is conflict in relationships, right? Like that's typically a clutch moment when I would actually agree with our, you know, Sagittarius TikToker that communication is key mm-hmm. uh, would be, you know, in those moments of conflict with, uh, you know, with a sibling, with a parent or with a romantic partner, whatever it might be, whoever it might be. The, the idea is that communication is key mostly when things are not going well. Um, people don't really tend to pay attention to like the everyday mundane communication that, you know, um, happens that's probably forget forgot about because it doesn't have a huge impact on a relationship. But people remember how you act whenever uh, you're in conflict. And mm-hmm. so uh, how do you initiate that? Uh, those, you know, let's talk about that. Like those key moments, those clutch moments, like conflict, especially with conflict. I think it's about being gentle in the way that you start those conversations. It's really easy, especially with conflict, when you are both physically and mentally uh, revved up to want to just unload and mm-hmm. just scream and yell and, you know, beat your chest. Right. And that's, you know, it might make you feel good in the moment, but it's not good in the long term. Mm. Uh, if you can approach those conversations by saying, you know, hey, can we talk about something that's maybe on my mind or that's bothering me? And and I just, you know, I, I want to hear maybe your side of, of this as well. But mm-hmm. you know, the other day you said X, Y, Z, and it kind of made me feel, you know, I don't know, I just felt bad. It kind of made me feel like I'm not valued in this relationship or whatever it might right. be. If you can start from that, from that state of like, hey, instead of me just being against you in a competitive situation, if you can do anything communicatively to signal that you want this to be you and the other person versus the problem, mm-hmm. that's be a much more gentle way uh, to initiate that conversation. And that's important. That's the foundation for the rest of the conversation, the rest of the interaction. It's going to go much better than if you, uh, you know, just start the conversation by saying like, hey, you're a big jerk and, um, you know, I don't like you. Yeah. Uh, like, that's, <laughs> what are they going to do? They're just going to get defensive, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever you start by criticizing someone. Yeah. And I like your use of the word gentle there because I think sometimes, and this is, I think, especially true for men, the uh, uh, idea of like contrived stoicism is romantic where it's like, well, I'm not freaking out. I'm very even keel and mild mannered. And what that can often do, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but what that can do is it can make people feel invalidated, right? So you don't wanna make other folks feel invalidated simply because you're able to keep it together. It's also much easier to keep it together in situations where like you don't have anything at stake. And so if it's easy for you to keep it together and hard for someone else, like your significant other to, you might wanna consider what they have at stake versus uh, what you have at stake, and that should inform the sort of communication that can result in a, in a more healthy discussion. Yeah, and think about like the things too that like are really important um, from a communication aspect within conflict for any other like really important uh, situation. Like someone's just you know told you that they've been diagnosed with cancer, for example, and it's like to what extent are you attentive? Are you able to really you know put down the phone, put aside mm-hmm. other thoughts you have, and really listen actively to that mm-hmm. person to what extent are you composed so you don't lose your cool in that conflict to what extent can you coordinate the conversation in the sense of like especially in conflict the other person might be heated and you might have to say things like i understand you're really upset but like i hope we can like mm-hmm. try to understand each other's side so can you maybe help me understand what it is that you see in the situation right mm-hmm. so those types of almost meta communication moments that help guide and keep the conversation on track. 
Right. And to what extent, extent are you expressive? Like if you go too far, you're just screaming. That's bad. But if you're also just like standing there in silence and just kind of like a blank look on your face, that's probably not going to be too great either. So those are just a few different things that come to mind, especially within conflict um, or a support interaction that would be really, really important um, to think about if you want to be a good communicator. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, steering the conversation a little bit more in the direction of health, which is, again, like the overriding theme that I'm trying to accomplish in this season. Um, I know that you do health communication um, in a variety of different ways. Um, I hate using this word now, but I'm, I'm just going to use it because I have no other word for it. Um, what's an area of health communication that you wish lay folk or maybe like normies, <laughs> regular people, um, what's an area of health communication that you wish folks in general knew more about or perhaps had more access to? Yeah, I think something that, um, that comes to mind for me is, uh, some of the stuff I've explored recently is, uh, is that whenever something really, you know, like a, like something really heavy, like a cancer diagnosis, you know, comes out in a family or, or something along those lines, I think people have this romanticized vision of like, oh, you know, everyone will come together in the family or, or friends and family will come together and, you know, support this person. And it's going to go really well in terms of supporting them. And that's not how it works. It, it, life is way more messy than that. And so specifically, I think the thing that I would like more people to realize is that whenever there is something like a cancer diagnosis, it is not uh, also a giant metaphorical reset button for your relationships. Hmm. Um, for some people, it might be. And for in some relationships, it could be. But that is not the default. And what I've been finding over the past couple of years in my research is uh, essentially what it boils down to in normie language would be like if you've been a jerk to people all your life and now you have cancer, they don't see you as someone with cancer. They will see you as someone who is a jerk with cancer. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily take away the hurt that's been created in those relationships or the transgressions that have occurred in those relationships. And it doesn't guarantee that people will suddenly set aside those feelings and want to support you. Um, so I think there's a lot of research on like the support and psychosocial aspects of cancer and other illnesses and diseases. But what people uh, don't always remember or realize is that those are not isolated events that happen in a vacuum. That's just another chapter in those ongoing relationships. And if you've not been good to other people throughout your life, they might not be very keen on being good back to you whenever you need that support. Wow, dang. That's, I mean, that's such a good point. Um, I Like, wow, that I've never even, that's never even crossed my mind. And I'm someone who studies communication for a living. <laughs> the, the idea of like, you're more than just a cancer diagnosis. When I hear words like that, what I think of is like someone who is like going through it and has a lot of support, but that can also exist in the other realm where, yeah, if you were a jerk and you have cancer, you're a jerk with cancer. Like you're still like, wow. So the expectation of support um, may not be as clear cut as initially thought. Yeah. And it's um, what's interesting is that people then who maybe decide not to reach out to like a parent or a family member to provide any kind of support because of those relational transgressions in the past. 
they usually see those decisions as justified and they actually create some really interesting uh, narratives and stories that they tell themselves and others um, to justify not providing support. And oftentimes it doesn't paint the uh, the person with cancer in the best light. And it wow. oftentimes is because of their their past and the way that they've acted. So, you know, I think um, it's, you know, colloquially, it'd be this like idea of like uh, throughout your life and within with your relationships, you get out of them what you put into them. Mm -hmm. and so if you are just a terrible person to other people most of your life and you're narcissistic and selfish and mean and all these things, well, whenever, you know, the other shoe drops, uh, it might not go well. Wow. That's noteworthy. So hopefully it's motivating to like not be a jerk. Yeah. Be know? nice <laughs> to people. Be nice to people. That's a good point. Um, just to wrap things up, uh, we're going to spend the next few episodes talking a lot about the body from a, a variety of different perspectives. Uh, from a support standpoint, one of the things that I want to get into is a discussion of body positivity and like specifically as it relates to friends or partners, you know, voluntary relationships. How can we support folks who are having body issues and let them know that like we appreciate their aesthetic and that they are valued without sounding condescending, without, uh, you know, making it seem like they're overreacting and, and, and provide like a space where that sort of support is meaningful and, and perceived as genuine. Yeah. Um, I love this question. I, uh, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of moving to Louisiana, uh, <laughs> but my experience of moving to Louisiana is that in about 12 months, I put on an additional amount of weight. I won't say the amount, but it rhymes with schmerty pounds. <laughs> and it's insane that I, it's actually the unhealthiest physically that I've ever been right now, um, just to be honest. But I'm also dating someone who is incredibly loving and supportive and in much better shape than me. Uh, and that's, it creates that sense of like, uh, it, it creates this like, I don't know, I feel bad. I feel bad about my body, right? Mm. Um, and like I have plans to fix it and I actively hopefully will. But um, the things that she does that are so wonderful is that, you know, she really will just, you know, pretty reliably and consistently reassure me that like she finds me attractive uh, physically, but also that she loves me for other things beyond just physical attraction as well. Uh, and sometimes it's like those little comments like, Hey, you look really good today. Or that shirt looks really good on you. Those little reassurances can kind of build up over time. But at the same time, in, ad in addition to that, I think it's important if someone ever expresses that they're having body image issues and things like that, uh, that you are open to like diving a little bit deeper with them, uh, into, you know, why do they feel that way? And to what extent do you think it, they think it's something that is within their control versus what's not within their control or to what extent, um, you know, are they actually physically healthy, uh, regardless of how they look, because people do have different body types and being, uh, very skinny, uh, might not be, uh, the actually healthiest way to, you know, the, mm -hmm. the underlying health might not be there, even though they may look it. Uh, so there's a lot that could potentially be uh, discussed about. I'm sure you'll have a lot to cover in that future episode whenever you cover these issues. Oh, yeah. We're going to be talking about toxic body toxic body positivity in a couple of weeks. Uh, and, and that's why I wanted to ask that question. It reminds me of because, you know, growing up, I've had the opposite issue. I've always been overly slim. And I'll never forget one of the most supportive things that someone ever said to me was when I was in college and I had just eaten like this big, you know, those cereal bar candy bars, you know what I'm talking about? 
It's a huge Lucky Charms one. And I felt horrible. And I turned to my friend. I was like, why did I do that? Why did I just eat that? I feel so terrible. I'm so unhealthy. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you were really as unhealthy as you said you were, you wouldn't feel that terrible physically after eating that because your body would be used to ingesting all of that sugar. The fact that you don't feel well tells me that you're healthier than you may think you are. And that made me really rethink um, what happens when I eat candy. So now when I eat candy and I hate myself, it means I'm healthy. And that's how I justify all the chocolate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I I totally understand that. I guess that makes me feel a little bit better too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, quick recap of my uh, life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're just about out of time. So, uh, Coulter, thank you so much uh, for not only uh, appearing on the show, but for hopping on last minute like this. It's very much appreciated. Well, I'm happy to support you in that because you have not been a jerk to me the time I've known you. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> yes, only only during October are we jerks to each other. And unfortunately, um, your Houston Astros always tend to come out the winner against my New York Yankees. And I feel like if the Yankees make it to the Astros this year, it's going to happen again. Yeah, that's a clutch moment. It's not a big one for the Yankees when they play the Astros. Yeah, well, you know. That's, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> well, there's there's always hope, which is part of what this podcast is about. But for now, uh, thank you again for your time. Next week, we'll be talking about body positivity with Utah Tech's newest communication hire, Dr. Robbie Hall. I'm very excited to get into that conversation, and I'll see you all uh, in two weeks. For now, so long. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.